The Trek Files, Season 6, Episode 4. Letter from Friends Joseph, May 14th, 1973. Welcome to The Trek Files, a look into the archives of Roddenberry Entertainment from the personal files of Gene Roddenberry. And now your host, Dr. Trek, Larry Nemechek. Welcome back, Star Trek fans. Oh, hey, listen, all you Star Trek history fans, and yes, especially today, all you canonistas, I say that lovingly, you Star Trek background fans, hey, the tech heads are going to love today. Basically, all of you Trekophiles spelled with an F will love today's episode. We've got a very special guest who's going to be a direct link back to a very special moment in Star Trek development. And I, I could say fandom development, but it also had repercussions for what we would see on film later on. So listen, I'm so excited. Take a quick look at our documents of the week right there on our page on Facebook, as always, facebook.com slash The Trek Files. Then after you hear this, hang around and I'll be right back with our guest. I'm a retired professional industrial designer and supposedly an expert on reducing photographs back into their original architectural plans or equipment design drawings. I had considerable experience in this regard with enemy photos in World War II. After making a few design reconstructions, it occurred to me to prepare them in the form of a technical manual, the way such data are presently collected. We both know the Enterprise wouldn't use such manuals. The data would be stored in the ship's library computer. However, this isn't Star Trek Century, and we still use technical manuals. All right, Trekophiles, if you couldn't guess what the subject of today's <laughs> topic is from that, I'm just going to say two words to you. Original series technical manual. Okay, that's four words. The tech manual. Otherwise, the creation, along with the famous Enterprise Blueprints, or officially the Booklet of General Plans, that were put together that kick-started not only a big chunk of fandom and, and Star Trek tech fandom, and you could argue a lot of the tech fandom across all sci-fi genres, not only did all that, but also sold a ton load of copies and got on the radar of all the bean counters who thought maybe there's some life in this old Star Trek yet actually after all. <laughs> it was an amazing time in the early 70s, and our guest today is a witness. No, Franz Joseph Schnabelt was his actual last name. Franz Joseph uh, died in 1994, just shy of his 80th birthday. So we can't talk to Franz Joseph, although there were some uh, interviews with him out there, including one by today's guest, who also happens to be his daughter, Karen. Karen Schnabelt Turner Dick. She is a technical writer-editor for interpreting, get this, between lawyers and engineers on patents, which I hear is a very unique world. She communicates that, and you know what? Does a little technical drawing herself. Karen, I am so looking forward to this discussion and reminiscing today, but thank you, and welcome to the Trek Files. Thank you, and thank you for inviting me. Oh, yes, yes, yes. Now, look, uh, I, I rattled that off about what you do today. And it is funny because your dad was an engineer. I want to talk about Franz Joseph. So many, the first generation of fandom 
grew up. I mean, it was such a spark plug for early fandom and even for the next 10, 20 years. The, the blueprints. You didn't even have to say the Enterprise, but it was just <laughs> the blueprints and the technical manual. I mean, that was my generation and coming into it later. But your dad was around. He he wasn't a fan, right? But he embraced it and we lost it, I would say, too early. I never got a chance to meet him, which I regret. But um, a lot of people did, you and a couple other people. We do have some extant interviews with him, but just... I mean, I just want that to wash over our audience. We're talking about the guy that didn't just pioneer this tech manual, the original series tech manual and the Enterprise blueprints and what it meant for Star Trek. But it was a first in pop culture, really. Uh, but, you know, beyond fictional maps of Oz and Middle Earth, maybe. This, is, this was amazing and groundbreaking. So tell us about just the human guy that did all this. Oh, my goodness. He's um, a dad. He was an engineer. I mean, he has a great, you know his professional background and then he had happened to have a fan daughter who dragged him into all this yes <laughs> well i'm not sure who dragged who um oh we both started watching star trek together in 1966 and um i wasn't all that impressed with it and it and bewitched were on the same time on the same night so i watched a couple <laughs> of episodes and went meh i'm gonna watch bewitched and and then he said, no, no, let's watch this. <laughs> so he sort of dragged me into it. Oh, okay. And then I became a rabid fan and met up with other rabid fans who were making props and uniforms and all that. So, so I was really involved with it. And my friends were making Star Trek props and there were no blueprints or anything to work from. So they were making them out of pencil boxes to do communicators and uh, HO gauge track to get the two sections of the communicator to fit together. And they were all coming out different sizes. And he said, oh, well, you need blueprints and I know how to draw that here, let me help you. So the first okay. two things he drew was the hand phaser and the, uh, the communicator to try to right. help my friends out. And of course, I brought these drawings in and we had a lunch table on San Diego State University campus that was sort of ebbed and flowed all day with Star Trek fans. And and everybody went nuts when I brought these drawings in. Now, we're talking about the early 70s here now. By yes, the time you're in college. April of so 1973. The, OK, I love how you can date it precisely. So you're about so. But the show is so Star Trek's been canceled. So you and your dad and everybody else are like, oh, I mean, I don't know if you got involved. Did you write letters or whatever? But the the ending happened. And you, like so many other fans, obviously didn't let it die and didn't stop caring. Well, we clung to it. We wrote fan fiction. Uh, I, my best friend Jan Hedlund and I thought we were the last two Trek fans left. Mm -hmm. And then I was on San Diego State campus and going to my first classes in the fall of 1972. And... My friend said, I had a Star Trek Lives bracelet that I wore all the time. And my friend in class sitting next to me said, oh, you're a Star Trek fan. Do you go to the meetings at Jeannie's house? And I'm like, who's Jeannie? What meetings? Tell me mm -hmm. more. And that was Gene Peacock, who founded Star California, which later split up into multiple star groups, the largest of which was Star San Diego. And uh, we, she's been a guest with us and talked about Star Trek's influence on the early Comic-Con, but also Star, Star Trek Association for, for Revival, Revival, was the first national assembly of local chapters to back Star Trek fandom. Yes. To organize Star Trek fandom. Yeah. Yes. And it started in San Diego with her and your group. 
actually it started i think there was a michigan chapter because she and her family lived in michigan and then oh, moved okay. to san diego so okay. she started a michigan chapter and then she started a california chapter we got it's, a it's an advisor and we moved it on to san diego state campus and san diego state is a huge college it has its own zip code because it has so many tens mm-hmm. of thousands of people going there so we regularly had 300 plus people at meetings who were all star trek fans just think about that guys everybody listening 300 this is early passion starch because there was nothing else to do yeah there was nothing there i mean we could like rent 35 millimeter films uh, you know (laughs) star trek episodes and And show them projector right (laughs) get a projector but i I mean we showed other science fiction films as well but we were you know we were primarily a star trek club and this is all just blown up. This is all the early days. And here, now, you out, I love how you outed your dad. Because I'd always, in my head, had always thought that you're the one that got him into your group. And his engineering instinct just took over. Because he had the amazing talent, like he said, to reduce, to reduce photos back down to engineering, to, to retcon into engineering drawings, which is amazing. So that, that kind of explains, I guess, the passion for why he kept doing all this for no pay. He was doing it just for fun. Well, he was also doing it as an intellectual exercise, mm-hmm. especially the, the, the ship blueprints. It, it turned into, can I make all the stuff they talk about on the show fit into this space? Because, you know, there was the rec room and the mm-hmm. bowling alley and, mm-hmm. you know, and crew quarters for everybody. And... And sick bay and uh-huh. engineering and all the rest of it. And is that so. the only sick bay for 430 people? And is that the only engineering set for the ship this big? And all those things. Yeah, all the practice. And where are the four other quarters for the other 428 people? Right. <laughs> so so you guys are meeting. You guys and gals are meeting your club. And he's he. so he drew those first two original sketches. And now is the one in here, did he, did he pretty up his hand phaser sketch? for his letter to Gene that we have in our documents this week? Or did he, were they rougher sketches that the kids saw at the table that was drawing? Um, I think they went through a couple of iterations. I also have um, his workup sketches on some of the pages where some of them he just drew straight out and they were fine and others he sort of fiddled with the composition of them. So, so I have workup drawings and the phaser and the communicator had definitely had workup drawings. Well, that's all blowing up. He's thinking about that. And I, there's a, the attitude of the kids I love, but, but, but as far as his letter to Gene that we've got this week in our documents, it looks like he's, he's really thought this, I mean, I'm trying to get the genesis of, did, did this explode as an idea? He says at the urging of the kids, I've already made about a dozen drawings of insignia and ranks and uniforms. And the, I mean, he gets it. Everything that's going to yes. fuel the nerdier, geekier side of Star Trek for the next 55 years, especially out of the gate here, when it had not really been done before, he gets it. And I'm just wondering, did he... Do you, th- you've already outed him here as not, not being a stranger that you suckered into this circle, that he was halfway there himself. Yes. Where did the impetus for this, did it come from, he's, he's saying, oh, the kids are having me do this. Did it really kind of spring from him or was it really a mutual? It was sort of a mutual thing. Well, because yeah, he was retired process. and, you know, puttering around oh. trying to figure out what to, you know, what to do. Uh, and then he went to that first club meeting 
and saw the enthusiasm. Mm. And I went to my first convention 30 days, less than 30 days after I went to the first club meeting. And again, I went from thinking I was one of the last fans left to, oh my God, there's 10,000 of us, (laughs) (laughs) at least in the LA area. Yep, that's what they call in in uh, Star Trek Lives. They called the before the internet, before you could do that. All those when you conventions found it, yeah, were just the discovery. Well, there were these little yeah. pools of people who, you know, they knew they were still fans, and we were watching reruns on Saturday afternoon or whenever they were playing them, and writing fan fiction and making uniforms, but but still thinking, oh, you know, there's only one or two of us left. And then we find the club and we find the convention and we find each other. And this convention in Los Angeles run by Beecher Trimble, she was expecting 1,000, 1,500 people and 10,000 people showed up. It was standing room only. The fire marshal was losing his mind. Yeah, there were lines yeah. for everything. And it was the most con? wonderful, that- <laughs> it was, it was Equicon, Equicon, Equicon 73. Okay. See, there's all the attention on the New York cons, but just right on the heels of that were all the West Coast, was the LA and the West Coast cons right. that we should really focus on. Yeah, the New York more. con was in 72. Mm-hmm. And it was interesting, because again, because there were lines for everything. There were lines for the coffee shop. So I got a booth, my, my roommate and I got a booth with another two fans who were from the New York area and had gone to that con. So... There's, you know, lifetime friendships forged by having to share a booth in the coffee shop uh, because the convention is so mobbed. In downtown L.A. In downtown well, so, L.A. So here's, G, so here's, this is all happening. So here's your dad. Um, he's been inspired to do some more sketches. And what I love is in his first letter to Gene, and I want to get to Gene's reply to him. This is blue sky. He's like... His mind is racing the way anybody's would. And he's got the, he's, he's a person with the fandom interest, but he also has the technical background and the scientific background. Right. He's done it for years. So he's like the perfect person at the right place in the right time. But he's also smart enough, um, uh, you know, entertainment, the, the, the industry, and also entertainment law and licensing, which itself is in its baby days. Uh, he's got all these questions for Gene. He's very cognizant of, first of all, I love how he says, oh, the kids are making me, I can't fix anything or make it better. I'm doing it exactly the way the show is because they say that's what fans want, which is true. But he's also very careful to talk to Gene about, there's a trust thing going on here. And he's saying, I've got all these ideas, but I want to step on your toes. But he's also kind of guardedly saying, I want to, like, there's a lot of work involved here. I mean, he's he's it's amazing yes. how even at this early time, he's looking at all the factors that are going to be involved with anybody who want who is so excited by Star Trek. They want to add more, but they want to go to a bigger forum if they can. And they got to be cognizant of the legal and, you know, what. Right. What, what well, he, he recognizes that it's not his intellectual property. Right. Do you be, so what? So you're not him. <laughs> You were the daughter that he says dragged him into this, but you were you were he dragged you. It sounds like in the beginning. What's your memory of the of this this early time when I mean, were you excited right along with him? Was the whole club excited along yes. with him? You were you were front row seat to it though. What was that like? Well, he would produce these drawings and yeah, and they would get shared around the club and and yeah, <laughs> and we had to be very careful. Of, no, you can't haul this off to the <laughs> the Xerox machine and make photocopies of this. <laughs> um, <laughs> Because they wanted to, 
and then and then the next thing I know, well, again, this this whole intellectual thing. He first he draws starts out with the props, and he starts drawing the props and drawing this and drawing that. And the next thing I know, he comes home with this giant roll of vellum and starts drawing the whole ship. Uh, there's notes in in the green bo- notebook of 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 communication logs where he says. It's obvious to me that I have to draw the ship before I can draw the individual workstations and whatnot. So, uh-huh. so, uh, so he went off the the what was the tech manual project for a while and drew the whole ship. And he must have been enthused by it or really motivated to do it because he drew the basic layout in nine days. Which you mean, to you, me said the, you mean the the deck plans? The deck plans. <laughs> All wow. the setup for that in nine days. I mean, finished product was three months, but the first setup was nine days. Now that I don't know how much he. Away. I don't know how much he shared. I'm looking at. We've got Gene's letter, first letter back to him mm-hmm. shared. Oh, and by the way, we've got his hand phaser that he submitted to Gene, which right. a sharp eye will know that this is very much not the final one that was even in the book. Because what I love is you can still see the clip from the actual analog prop here, not right. The, magnetomic adhesion area you know um he's just got it in the same place now that i can see this right uh you know in in star trek times it was like uh, you know future tech velcro or whatever it was supposed to be only it was a force field or something but he's he's draws the original clip here and he's you know updated his uh terminology for it but it's basically the same drawing that he did and the cross section and all that for Mm -hmm. for that but now you are looking at these documents now. Did you share? I mean, when he would write back and forth, did he share any of this correspondence with no, you? No, not particularly day? at all. I mean, I'm 18 years old. I'm in college. Yeah, I'm yeah. dealing with my own stuff. So, no, not so much. I was so, completely oblivious to a lot of what went on and a lot of the weirdness in his how how his relationship with Gene Roddenberry kind of cooled over time and all that and then and then I'm reading his logs and the letters later it's like oh dad (laughs) (laughs) and a lot of it is because he was an engineer and a scientist and Hollywood doesn't operate under the same he's being very straightforward and earnest and well, here's the facts. He's being very spockish about it. It's the and Scotty's yes, about it. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Well, listen. We've got Gene's uh, reply letter here. This is everybody's in blue sky mode here, and yes. everybody's like, "Oh my God!" And people are being your dad to his credit for being an engineer. Quote air quotes here. He was cognizant again about some of these ownership and production questions that needed to be resolved. And to his credit, just to put a you know a fine point on it. Gene writes him back. He's excited because at this stage, he doesn't know whether there'll be Star Trek. And he's any sign right. of life out there. He's wanting to encourage, you know, blow right. on that kindling and get that fire going. But he's also kind of, you know, um, he's pulling his punches a little bit here. But I love how he says, oh, well, we have this company called Lincoln Enterprises or there is a company. He doesn't say that it's it's Majel and he running it, but I love right. the way he diverts your dad to write to the manager of yes, Lincoln. Of Lincoln, yeah. Well, also what would happen too is, you know, I'm a fan. I'm ordering stuff from Lincoln Enterprises, my ITIC, my scripts. 
my film clips because you know this yeah. is the days before video so we were oh, all yeah. collecting our little film clips um, and he's drawing his plans from those film clips and it was very interesting because after he wrote them and after there was that conversation going on all of a sudden the quality of the film clips that came to me improved like there would be film clips of this prop or that prop or whatever mm -hmm. <laughs> and it's like oh here let us help you <laughs> that's yeah that's well and that's a there's a long history since of that kind of thing happened to the unofficial the official unofficial helping of the creators out there Listen, and of course all my friends had huge film clip collections so we were well, right, right, through all right. their there film was no clips shortage no shortage when you have that many together i the modern day fans have no idea what the world your whole life depended upon because we didn't even have videotape to make crappy stills from then it was totally the little clips of fr film clip to me will always now people say oh roll that clip and to right. me a film clip is a clip yeah, frame that, of film that's a film right. clip the way we used to talk about it. listen karen i this is i here we go we're gonna cram in too much we have to can you come back and let's expand our conversation because we yes, had yes. even got to um the end game for this whole chapter but there's right. a lot of fun stuff to get through before that so if you can do that that would be awesome can you come I back can. and join us again i can great 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 we're just getting going the trek files is produced by roddenberry entertainment executive producer rod roddenberry now all of our documents and your chance to comment are available at facebook.com slash the trek files for more great podcasts check out podcast.roddenberry.com. And for more deep diving of Star Trek behind the scenes, visit Dr. Trek and Portal 47. That's me at LarryNemacek.com. Trek well, everybody. This is a Roddenberry podcast. For more great podcasts, visit podcast.roddenberry.com.